Great to see you. You can go ahead and have a seat. I want to welcome you to today, whether you're here in our interim worship center or you're over in the summit uh, in our live video venue or way in the back. I see you back there as well. And uh, there's an exciting time at our church. Uh, in fact, it got a little too exciting this week. Uh, we, we had a surprise from the city. You know, we've been telling you that we're planning to move in a couple of weeks to our, our new facility. We're excited about that. Uh, and, and so basically the facility is essentially done. Uh, we are ready to, you know, to move in and so on. And um, we'd gone to the city uh, back in like August uh, uh, or whatever. And, uh, you know, when you do a project like this, there's the two parts. There's the inside part, uh, the auditorium and so on. And then there's the outside part, which is what they call site work. And so whenever you remodel, they require you to kind of bring things up to code, especially in terms of like disabilities and uh, kind of leveling the land and slopes of land and stuff like that. And so we had gone back in August and said, here's our plan to meet code and so on. And they said, looks great to us. City approved it. And we're ready to move on that. And this week they came and said, you know, we changed our mind. Um... We don't like that plan. We want a different plan, and this plan is going to be a lot more expensive, which kind of is outside of our budget. And so um, we're, we're just kind of pulling back from that, uh, that what they want us to do or what we would do is it would be very expensive to kind of dig up a lot out there and ch- change site work. But the big problem is, is that when you come back to phase two, which we hope to do later, we're within a year or something like that, and we want to kind of create uh, kind of a wide meandering park uh, walkway out there, kind of a park type of experience out, at, out there between the buildings, that we would have to dig up all that work that we had just done for this high cost. And so... Um, what we're doing is we're, we're drawing back. We're just saying, God, what are you doing? Uh, it makes me think of the time of Joseph, you know, where Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but uh, God meant it for good. And so we're, we're asking this question. It's like, well, you know, originally, uh, the original plan was to do this kind of bigger kind of project out there, but just because of cost and expense, we said that'll become part of phase two. And that's fine. We'll do that in phase two. And so we're kind of coming back and saying, is God using the city to stretch us in a way that this needs to be part of phase one? And so this week, we're just going to be doing our homework, uh, kind of nailing down the numbers, coming up the plan, and uh, see where we go. We don't think this will delay us a long period of time uh, in any way, but uh, we may be even coming back to you at some time and saying, hey, here's the need or here's what the challenge is. So just be praying for us. Be praying for the city. Uh, I, I believe God's in this. God's bigger than all this, right? And so we, uh, we're just trusting that God's going to, he's leading us, and we're, we're excited uh, what he's got for our future, and so we'll keep you posted on that. One practical thing, though, is that we were planning, you know, next week was going to be our last weekend here, so we had a special message to prepare us. We were doing baptisms, that special thing, and so uh, we're canceling church next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Because I don't have a message or whatever, no. But uh, one practical thing we're going to do is we will be postponing baptism. So for those of you who are baptized, because we wrap the whole service around that, the message, the length of things, everything goes around it. And so we will uh, contact you if you're planning to get baptized next week. We'll contact you this week. We'll talk to you more about that. We'll postpone. We're hoping this just only puts us off a little bit of time, not like a long period of time, but we'll keep you posted, all right? So that's that's the first thing. And the second thing is, is that uh, tonight we're kicking off this course I've been talking about the last couple weeks. It's a two Sunday night course called The Movement and Rocky Peak. And it's a course where I share, uh, it's a three hours from six to nine tonight. I share our vision and our values and our strategies as a church. I like to describe it as why we do what we do the way we do it. And so if you're new, awesome course for you to come in, get to spend some time together, uh, share a little bit more, kind of get you oriented to Rocky Peak. If you want to become a member here, we call it partnership. A lot of churches call it member. We call it partnership. We want you to partner with us in in carrying 
out this vision. Uh, if you want to become a partner, this is the course you take. You actually need to come uh, both weeks for that to, in order so you kind of fully understand what we're doing. And so there's still time to sign up. You can either sign up online today, uh, which would be very helpful in planning food and all that. But, uh, or, you, you know, last minute you decide to come, you can just come tonight at 6 o'clock. It's on the summit. Uh, well, how are you doing today? Yeah. I can tell, you know what? It's just amazing. By about, usually about the, about the, by the end of the first song, I can tell what I'm getting myself into. Like in the, later on, it's like you come and you have different moods, you know? Someday we're ready to go and some days I'm still waking up and you guys are awake today, so we're going to have fun, right? We're going to have a good time. So uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Inside your program is a, a message sheet that's green and white. And for those of you who are new, you'll definitely want to take that out because it'll be help, helpful. And so if you guys are uh, ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to be in your house kind of pursuing you. And God, we thank, we're so thankful that you're just bigger than in all the things in life. And you know your perfect plan for this church. And we're excited to walk with you step by step. And today we're, we're excited about this very next step in our journey as we go through these Genesis Chronicles. And we talk about this um, most important of all human relationships, uh, marriage and principles that apply not only to marriage but to all close relationships. And so we pray that as we do that, you would meet us in a powerful way, uh, and I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in now uh, for the last few weeks. It's called the Genesis Chronicles, The Pursuit of Life. And for those of you who are brand new, uh, this series is actually the second in a trilogy of series on the first three chapters of the Bible we call the book of Genesis. And so in the first series, it was called The Story Begins, um, uh, Moses gives us kind of a big picture description of the creation of the cosmos, right? And so he introduces us to this amazing God who uh, out of his power and brilliance and generosity and, and it's just a God of beauty and creativity that he speaks all of creation into existence. And then over the next six days, uh, whether you see him as six uh, kind of 24-hour days or longer periods of time or kind of part of an ancient literary format, however you see that, that he kind of carefully uh, crafts and forms and fills this creation as a first home for us. And so that was kind of first series. In the second series, um, Moses is zooming in to a specific time and place. So I've used it now as like, like Google Earth. He's going from the creation of the cosmos to the creation of a first, the first human couple and their first home in this beautiful nature preserve that we call the Garden of Eden. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going back to the time when the earth was young, when the world was young, to recapture God's vision for our life and see what does it look like to live life with, like I could say, live life with a capital L and to pursue the life that we were created to live. Now, last week we, we kicked off this topic that, that's addressed in this chapter two of Genesis of the first human relationship, the relationship of marriage. And what we saw is that uh, the principles that apply here to marriage also apply to any uh, kind of close human relationships, whether you're married or you want to be married or you never want to be married or you're, you're, you're single and happy forever or whatever. These principles uh, kind of apply to any close uh, relationship. And so last week we started off by looking at Genesis 2, 18 through 24 in great depth, unpack those, what, what the Bible says. What he talked about is these, this passage on marriage is one of the most important in all the Bible, and what you see is that Jesus and the New Testament come back to it again and again when they, they talk about marriage and what's God's vision for marriage. And so today we're not going to go back to that passage because we, we looked at it carefully last week, but we want to build on it. 
And uh, one of the things that we saw last week is that uh, as we went through there, there was kind of three big picture principles that apply to, uh, to marriage that are the foundation for what God wants to teach us. And so today what I want to do is start by going back and doing just a quick review, which will set us up for all that's coming today. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Shared Life, a quick review. And let me just hit these real quick. There's no spot, no, no fill in the blanks because I'm just going to hit them very quickly, but uh, you can try to jot them down if you want to, or just go back and listen uh, uh, to last week's, and is something going on with sound here? Yeah, okay, oh, there we go, I'm back. Hey, good morning, Rocky Peak, all right. <laughs> okay, uh, so here we go, so we got three, um, uh, so three uh, principles we wanted to highlight. Number one is that the first thing we, we saw is that marriage is designed to be an incredible gift. Remember that? That, that we are relational beings and that one of the primary ways that God has designed us, that, that relational need to be, be met, it's not the only way, but one of the primary ways is through this gift of marriage. And so God, uh, we, we describe this amazing vision God has for this relationship, uh, one man, one woman coming from different backgrounds, different personalities, different gifts, called together to, to rule together. And that kind of leads uh, to the second principle, is that the goal of this relationship is a shared life. And so we saw that even in the way that, that the, the man and woman are created, remember this, the man's created from the dust to the ground, but then the woman was created from the side of man. Why was she created from the side of man? It's a, it's a spiritual object lesson. It's a, it's a picture that says, uh, hey, the whole concept of marriage is that from the one comes two. So the two can come back together and be one. And so God's vision is this shared life. And we talked about his vision for us in our marriages that we rule together, kind of our kingdoms for him, uh, under his leadership as friends and as lovers. And remember we looked at that verse in, uh, in the Song of Solomon where the young bride is, is uh, describing her, uh, her husband to uh, her, her friends. And she says there on your note, she, this is my lover and this is my friend. All right, so this vision of, of sharing life, ruling together as friends and lovers. And then the final principle was that this relationship, if you're married, this relationship is the most important relationship. And we talked about that, how, how Moses said in Genesis 2.24, that for this cause, this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, his, his primary, most important relationship, his home, home of origin, and he will cleave or cling to his wife. And so once we become married, this person becomes the most important person in our life, and, and our top priority is this relationship over all others. Okay, so, so that's where we, we were last week. Now, I want to build on that this week. And so if God's vision is that we would rule together as friends and lovers, this week we want to talk about what does it look like to pursue friendship in a marriage, and next week we'll come back and talk about what does it look like to pursue being lovers in a marriage, and so you'll definitely want to be here for that one. <laughs> it may be my last message, but we're going out with a bang. All right, so... Uh, before we jump in today, I want to start with a couple powerful quotes, right? One is from the leading researcher on marriage in the, in the world. Uh, he's probably the most respected researcher. He's just an amazing guy. He's, uh, as far as I know, he's a secular guy, not a believer, but tremendous books. I'd highly recommend them. Um, and his name is Dr. John Gottman. 
And uh, he has researched marriage for, I don't know, 25, 30 years uh, in a very kind of specific way. I won't go into that. But, um, but I want to get here a quote from him. And then I want to uh, come back with a quote from C.S. Lewis that many of you, you, you know, you've heard of, uh, kind of famous Christ follower, apologist, defender of the faith, Oxford guy, Cambridge guy, Chronicles of Nardia uh, author. And so um, let's jump in. So there in your note sheet from uh, Dr. Gottman. He says that the heart of, my, uh, heart of my program, or his kind of helping with couples, is the simple truth that happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. Now, I want you to underline that. Underline it, circle it, topic on the table today. Rule together as friends and lovers. He says happy marriage is based on a deep friendship. And by this I mean a mutual, I'm getting louder, uh, by this I mean a uh, mutual respect and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. Now, I want you to underline that. Uh, Mark of a deep friendship, you know each other intimately. We'll talk about that later. Uh, They are well-versed in each other's likes and dislikes, personality quirks, hopes and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express their this fondness, not just in big ways, but in little ways, day in and day out. Okay, so heart of a happy marriage, deep friendship. Now, from, from C.S. Lewis. So Lewis, uh, a lot of you know this, was a, a kind of confirmed bachelor until late in life. And then he meets this American author named Joy Davidman, and uh, they fall in love, and they get married. And then not too long into the marriage, she dies. But probably some of you have seen that, that, that. You've seen the movie. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. Shadowlands. Uh, Shadowlands. The book was called A Grief Observed. And so he, he talks about his relationship with Joy and what their marriage was like. And here's how he describes it. He says, we feasted on love, every mode of it. Solemn and merry, romantic and realistic, Sometimes as dramatic as a thunderstorm, sometimes comfortable and unemphatic as putting on your soft slippers. She was my pupil and my teacher, my subject and my sovereign, my trusty comrade, friend, shipmate, fellow soldier, my mistress, but at the same time, all that any man friend has ever been to me. Now there's the vision, right? There's the vision. Uh, two people, different backgrounds, different personalities, different life, uh, life experiences, different perspectives, coming together to rule together uh, over the, God's, their, their mutual kingdom as friends and lovers. Okay, so today, topic on the table is friendship. And I want to talk about, like, well, like, how do we pursue this kind of friendship? And again, if you're here today in single, you need to be taking good notes for your future, right, if, if you want to be married. Uh, if you're here and you're single and you don't want to be married, I always say that just put on this, this lens that what, the principles we're going to be talking about today really apply to any close relationship. So we're going we're to be applying them to marriage specifically, but it won't take much work for you to kind of twist that to apply it to your uh, closest friendships. All right, so here we go. So it's a big topic. Um, we're, you know, you say, hey, how do you pursue friendship? But we could be here all day. We could do a weekend seminar on this. A lot of things we won't uh, tackle. But what I want to do is tackle five of the most important, I think, principles for pursuing just a great friendship in um, a marriage. So number one, the first principle is to face the facts. Now you say, well, what are the facts? 
The facts are marriage is hard. Now, this comes as a surprise to most couples when they get married. And the reason is, is when you first meet and fall in love, uh, a shared life as friends is easy. Right? It comes very, it's very easy. It's very natural. In fact, I call this first stage of romantic relationship the rocket blast stage. Right? So how many of you, how many of you have ever seen a space shuttle take off? Anyone seen that? Okay, how many of you have seen Apollo? Okay, how many of you saw the movie, Apollo 13, right? How many of you have seen Gemini, right? And anyone see Sputnik? Anyway, okay, we'll stop there. Uh, uh, whenever a space shuttle or a rocket is launched, there's this tremendous explosion of energy, isn't it? And it is impressive, and it's fun to watch. That's why, like, no one turns in, like, the, the 10th day of the space shuttle to, where is it now? Let's watch, you know, but when it launches, it's, it's exciting, this is like, like 10, 9, 8, you know, and it's just like, it is fun to watch. I'm sure if it's an astronaut, it's fun to be on. It's a ride. You know, it's a ride like none you've ever taken, right? And so romantic love, the first stage of a romantic relationship is, is very much like this. Though when you have two people come together and fall in love, there is an explosion at an emotional level. We know this even scientifically. There are different endorphins that are being released in the brain. You kind of go out of your mind. You're under the influence. Um, guys start doing things they will never do again in the history. <laughs> right? They're going to like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you're planning a baby shower? I can help you with that. Right? <laughs> like, like. Because I'm really good at logistics and at work. I, I manage complicated systems. And, oh, I would, you would? Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, yes, I would just love to be with you and just spend that. That's awesome. You're amazing. I've never met a man like you. Uh, and, and on the woman's side, you, the guy thinks he's met the perfect woman, right? Because she's like, you know, I've, I've never really watched football. Um, <laughs> But I've always wanted a man to teach me, someone who would be patient and who's really bright and understands the game. Right. <laughs> well, baby, your ship has just come in. Uh, Liz Cohen's like, that's awesome, right? So, so he's going to be doing things he never does. You want me to wash your car? Uh, sure, yeah. I do. do you want it hand-washed or do you want to take it to the, you know, you want me to get you gas? Or, you know, the, I can fill it up with gas. And she's like, hey, you know, what do you need? And, you know, just let me butter your bread. And, you know, so, I mean, uh, like this is the way it works. Like rocket blast, uh, it's natural energy. You don't have to work at it. And the shared life comes easily. And it is so fun. You think, I have found my soulmate. This is the person I was designed to be with. We're like lock and key. We're like Laurel and Hardy. Not like that. Uh, we're like, uh, we, we are made for one another. And this is going to be awesome. Let's get married because I want to spend the rest of my life with you because this is amazing. And it's always going to be like this. And other people may have their troubles, but we will never have problems. <laughs> because we are special. And then you get married. And, and often we assume that this first stage is going to last forever. 
And of course, our whole culture tells us this. Every song on the radio, movie after movie, this is the portrayal, this is life. This is, this is your ticket to fulfillment. You find the right person, you fall in love, and life will be sweet. This is the answer to life. But here's the problem with that. The rocket blast stage doesn't, is never designed to last forever. When you, when you launch that spaceship, it doesn't like blow up like that forever. The reason there's a tremendous explosion is because it's required to break through the gravitational forces that hold that rocket ship down. Once you break through the Earth's atmosphere and you're in space, it takes very little energy to keep that thing moving and just to adjust it from time to time. In the same way, romantic love at that intensity, not love, but romantic love, that intensity of early love, is not designed to last forever. It's designed to launch the relationship so we can break through the, the relational, gravitational pull that would keep us from being in relationship. He's like, what? Like fear of rejection. Like fear of commitment. Like a fear of spending all my money and time on you. Right? And so, so this is kind of, we just got, hey, what, whatever, you know, so we're, we're good to go. And boom, that thing takes off. And we expect it will last like that forever. But think of it, what would our lives be like if it did? They would fall apart. You know, I love what C.S. Lewis, described. he describes this, he describes romantic love there in your note sheet. He said, who could, who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? What would become of, our, of your work? Your appetite, your sleep, your friendships. I, I remember that when, when Lynn and I fell in love, I remember I was 12, she was 14. No, uh, we were, yeah, I, was, I was 17, right? And so I was 17, she was 19, and uh, she was working that summer for a, uh, uh, she was kind of brand new nurse's aide at, at like a, uh, at a hospital. And it was very hard work, very physical work, very hard work. And we would go on these long walks almost every night, right? And I'd keep her out till 1 or 2 in the morning, right? We'd just like, oh, it's great times together and stuff. And then she has to get up, like, at seven, she has to be there at 7, right? Get up at 5. So she's going to have 4 or 5 hours of sleep. But we didn't care. We're in love, right? You put everything else on the side. You, hey, your friendships, your, 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 your life, your, you're just kind of, your work. And then things could, and so he says, hey, if this went on like this forever, it would kill us. Right? So it's not designed for, for that. In fact, research has shown this, and this is that research has shown that this first stage of romantic love tends to last anywhere between uh, three months and maybe three years. Right? This intense stage. Now, again, not that love stops, but I'm talking about this, this rocket blast stage. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put a quote from the parrots. And uh, I think it's funny, they're, they're, they're counselors, but their names are Les and Leslie Parrot. Uh, anyway, um, they're fantastic. They, they're Christ followers. They love Jesus. Great psychologists write a lot on relationships. Anything they, they, uh, they write, I would recommend on this topic. They wrote a very helpful book called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And in there, they talk about this kind of myth of romantic love, okay, that kind of lasts forever. And there in your note sheet, I want, I want you to see this. And, and this has just been written on a ton, a lot of research, but it's one example. Some experts believe the half-life of romantic love. Now, you remember the concept of half-life? 
like from science class. Like, you know, uh, let's say you, you take a drug and how long will it stay in your system before it becomes half as potent as it was when it started? That's like the half-life. And so some experts believe the half-life of romantic love is about three months. Okay? Some, some believe that. Uh, after which you have only half the feelings you started out with. Others believe that romantic love stays at a peak. It should be P-E-A-K, but uh, for two to three years. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm telling you, as long as you keep it at a peak, it'll go on forever. But anyway, uh, <laughs> here we go. I'm, I'm heading into next week already. All right. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't want to miss next week. Anyway, uh, <laughs> others believe romantic love stays at a peak for two to three years. All right, so we got a, we got an expert saying, no, I think it's three months, and no, I think it's you know three years. But catch this: um, before it begins starting to fade, it says, but whichever theory is correct, you can be sure that the enchantment of romance will begin to fade eventually. It's an illusion that the romance in the beginning of a relationship will last forever. This may be hard to swallow. They said it was for us. But debunking the myth of eternal romance will do more than just about anything to help you build a lifelong marriage. And it's so important that we catch this. Now, catch this. When we say that, uh, that this falling in love stage goes away, we're not saying that love goes away. right? In fact, the reality is until you get through this stage, you can't really learn a lot about love. It's like true love, you learn more about it after this stage than before this stage. But this stage is incredibly important, and it is beautiful, and I tell couples, ride the rocket. It's beautiful to watch. Sometimes it gets a little much. <laughs> oh, hunky-dory, poonie-poo. It's like, oh, please, you know? It's like, oh, can I do that for you? No, I'll do it for you. No, I did it for you last time. No, please let me do it for you. Just, hey, would someone just do it? Let's go. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's a beautiful fate. It's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful. And that's why we love it. We, watch, we love the movies, right? We love to watch a, a great love story or a romantic comedy. Um, but, but it doesn't last forever. And that's why on the movies and the books, they always end with a couple either in bed or getting married. A romantic comedy never ends three years into the marriage. And the reason is it wouldn't be funny anymore. Right? <laughs> and so uh, ma marriage is hard. It's hard. And we'll talk more about why it's hard later. But this is where we need to begin. So here's the thing. Sometimes you think, my marriage is hard, therefore I must be in the wrong marriage. No. If you're in a marriage that's hard, it means you're married. <laughs> and see, what happens is that this just brings, it, what I talked about this last week, it creates these unrealistic expectations. And it puts it on our marriages they were never designed to bear that weight. And so we now look at our, our spouse as a person who needs to fulfill us. And if you're not fulfilling me, I don't feel like I did back then. I've lost the love. And in our culture today, it almost feels like, hey, it's inauthentic to stay in a relationship past this early phase. Because, hey, I need to be true to myself. I need to, hey, if the love's God, I need to love, you know, I need to go where the love is leading. 
And this opens us up to divorce. It opens us up to affairs because these expectations are unrealistic. And so we go through our life with serial relationships one after another, not realizing that every relationship will go through this cycle. It's not about the relationship. It's about the cycle. It's about the way we're wired. And so catch this. True love starts to really happen after the cycle, not before. Are you with me? So step one, face the fact. This is going to be a challenge. Hey, if you're going to be married, get your game face on. All right? If you're going to be married, roll up your sleeves. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard at times. One of, the, uh, uh, one of the books I read in preparation for this little mini-series, I've got a million books on marriage, but every time I teach, I typically read a couple new ones that have come out just to kind of refresh my mind. One of the ones I read, this one, was, was by Tim Keller. Uh, he's a pastor in New York. He's one of the, I think, the, the brightest, best Christian thinkers of our day right now. But uh, he's a great thinker, and he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And I'll, I'll mention it several times today, not because it's the only thing I've ever read on marriage, but... <laughs> But because he's just, it's just good stuff, and I'd highly recommend it. But look what he says. This is just perfect. He says, marriage is glorious, but it's hard. It's a burning joy, and it's a strength. And yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats, and exhausting victories. Catch this, no marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. Okay? Face the fact. This is going to be hard. If we're going to achieve God's incredible vision, we're going to have to fight for it. Right? It's not going to come easy. Okay, number two. The second step we need to take is choose to grow. This is so awesome. I don't have a time clock today. I can just go forever. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you got, you got brunch plans, forget it. Forget it. We're just going on. All right. So, um, all right. So, marriage uh, is hard. Uh, and so, that, that's the hard news, right? So, you're sitting here, you're brand new married, you're thinking of being married, you're like, whoa, that's kind of bad news. Uh, it's just reality, right? It's reality. Face reality. That's uh, going to be the key to your succeeding. Face reality. Um, but the good news is that uh, marriage gives you an unparalleled opportunity for growth. And the reason for this, like if you want to grow, you want to become like Jesus, you want to experience the life he has for you, there is no better place to grow than marriage. And the reason is marriage is going to expose the truth of you about you faster than any other relationship. Like when we get married, we may think that we're fairly kind. <laughs> we think we're patient. We think we're a nice guy. We think we're slow to anger. Um, we are generous. We're pretty bright. Um, I don't want to brag, but fairly good looking, right? So um, it's like that's kind of how we think about ourselves. You know, we say like, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very loving. I'm a servant. Um, I love to help others. Um, Right, and then you get married. <laughs> and you find out that not everyone in the world sees you the way you do. <laughs> Starting with the most important person in your life. Right? And so all of a sudden, you find yourself, you're getting frustrated. You, you find you're getting selfish. You're impatient. You're getting angry. You're frustrated. You don't feel near as bright anymore. You don't have all the answers that you did. And... And she keeps telling you in the morning you're not near as good looking as she thought you was. You know, it's like, 
Um, it's like, wow, you know, when we were dating, you used to really put yourself together, you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, I dressed perfect like back then, you know, but now we're married. What's the point? Um, so, uh, and so uh, marriage introduces you to the truth about yourself. And when that truth is revealed, we have a choice. We can either embrace the truth and choose to grow, or we can deny the truth and blame the other person. And I want you to think about this. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, we haven't got there yet, but, but you remember when, when, uh, when Adam breaks his relationship with God, right? When, they, when they, Adam and Eve, they, they rebel, uh, their relationship goes broke overnight. And up to this point, like all, all, all the wife had known, all Eve had known from her husband is love, affection, treasuring, laughter, joy, incredible lovemaking. It's for next week. Uh, that all they'd known, security, passion, right? That's all she'd known. And in that moment, the moment they rebelled, God comes and says, Adam, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And remember what Adam says? Hey, it's not me. It's her. Remember the one you gave me? <laughs> Don't look at me. It's like a bus is coming by. <laughs> clunk, clunk. <laughs> and this is who we are apart from Jesus. This is who we are. We're selfish. We'll talk about that later on. And so, so when, when, uh, when we get married, it reveals the truth. We have a choice. Do we embrace that truth about ourselves and choose to grow? Or, or do we blame the other person? Uh, Keller there says, the merged life of marriage brings you into the closest and most inescapable contact with another person possible. While your character flaws may have created mild problems for other people... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> They'll create major problems for your spouse and for your marriage. You must realize that it isn't ultimately your spouse who's exposing the sinfulness of your heart. It's marriage itself. Right? You get married, you get exposed. And there's a chance to grow or not. Now, here's the problem. The problem is in Christian circles... What we want God to do is to bless the marriage, but we don't want to grow. Let me lay this out. I'm going to give you a very important principle, and you may want to write this down, but it goes like this, that it takes chemistry to start a relationship, okay? It takes rockablastic. You can't just fall in love with anybody. It takes chemistry to start a relationship, the catch is, but it takes character to make it last. See, the rock up last stage is, any, any, is easy. You can marry someone with very low character, and the rock up last stage will, will cover it up. You'll make excuses. You're like, well, you know, she's had a bad day. Well, yeah, well, all of our friends say that, but what do they know? They don't know him like I know her. Uh, so rock up last stage covers up multitude of sins. Um, so it takes chemistry to start, but it takes character to make it last. It's like, what, what does it take to make a relationship work? It takes character. Like, you cannot take two dysfunctional people 
and put them together and create a functional relationship. It doesn't work that way. You take two people who are selfish, two people that lack integrity, lack compassion, lack empathy. The two people that are lazy, don't have a work ethic, irresponsible, you put them together, like you don't get a, something bet good out of that, right? Like if you want a great relationship, you have to become a great person. It's just the way it is. Like, so how great a relationship do you want? Well, you're going to have to grow. Because if you want a great relationship, you have to become a person of compassion. You have to learn how to forgive. You have to have mercy. You have to have patience. You have to have integrity. You have to have courage. Right? These are non-negotiables. What happens in a relationship where there's no courage? You can't do conflict. And if you can't do conflict, you can't do relationship, right? What happens in a relationship where one or both are selfish? You can't have a great relationship. You can't. It's impossible. And so it takes, it takes chemistry to start a relationship. It takes character. We have to be transformed. We have to become like Jesus in order to make relationships work. It's just the way it is. And here's what often happens in Christian circles. Our marriage goes through a hard time, and we come to God, and we ask him to bless our marriage. God, would you bless our marriage? We're having a hard time. And, and then we begin to look for a quick fix. What's the latest book? What's, uh, what's the uh, 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 latest uh, message? Oh, here was a good sermon. Uh, uh, what's the uh, kind of latest uh, prayer? Just pray this prayer every day, you know? We look for a quick fix, and here's the bottom line. We want God to change our marriage, but we don't want God to change us. And if you're not willing for God to change you, it's not going to work. So let me introduce you to another important principle. This is, no, this is all, don't, it's number two. We're still, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're not going. You think you're getting, you know, no, 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 no. Remember, the clock's broken. All right. Um, we need a new building. I'm telling you. Uh, the, here's the next principle. The vertical is more important than the horizontal. The vertical is more important. Than the, let me say, let me, what am I talking about? I'm talking about our relationship with God is where marriage needs to start, not our relationship with one another. Like we try to fix our marriage, we often look horizontal. Our first, what book could I get on marriage? What could I do like this? What seminar? Let me, let me tell you something. The first step if your marriage is broken is make sure your relationship with God is right. I want you to think with me about Genesis chapter 3. You know, Genesis 2 and 3 go back to the beginning. They have an amazing relationship. Then they rebel against God and instantly their horizontal falls apart. When the vertical's not right, the horizontal can't be right. Because it's the horizontal that gives you the power to, to change the horizontal. The vertical gives you the power to change the horizontal. Right? And so what I see all the time is people that come for counseling or even like they go, I'm going to get professional counseling. Can I tell you something? If you're not willing to change, don't go to a counselor. It is a waste of money. You might as well take your car to a mechanic and say, tell me what's wrong, but I'm not willing to pay for it. Okay, great, you know? Just come back every week, another 60 bucks. I'll tell you again what's wrong. Yeah. 
So counseling can be incredibly helpful. I am a huge proponent of, of, uh, of counseling. But if you're not ready to get right with God, then it's going to be a waste of time. Because they're going to say something like, hey, this is an area you need to change. And if you're not willing to hear that, embrace that, then you're wasting your money. You're pouring your money down the drain. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so we have to, we have to choose, uh, choose to grow. Now, number three. Oh, by the way, on that one, before we go. Uh, <laughs> here's what I say. If you're here today and your marriage is struggling, maybe you think you're at the end. Maybe you're just like holding on. Maybe it's funny, the last time I'm going to come and hear this message, maybe it'll help. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I just promise you, you have two people who are submitted to the creator. Remember, this is the whole thing about Genesis 1 through 3. It's the Genesis Chronicles. If you want to get back to life that was designed to be, you have to go back to life as it's designed to be. And we were designed to live under the leadership of our creator. And that then empowers us to live with one another. And here's what I tell you. I don't care how badly your marriage is broken. If you have two Christ followers who are willing to come under the leadership of Jesus, he can fix it. I've seen it happen. But on the other hand, you have two Christ followers who are not really sure whether they want to come under the leadership of Jesus. It's going to be hard. May or may not work. It's going to be hard. Because in order to make a relationship work, you have to change. If you have an anger problem, you have to deal with it. If you have a financial issue in your life, you're an overspender, you have to deal with it. If you've got relative issues, you've got parents butting in, you've got to deal with it. Right? If you have sexual issues in your marriage and it's creating a lot of frustration, you've got to deal with it. Uh, if there's impatience or harshness in your marriage, you've got to deal with it. Are you with me here? You can't just say, like, God, would you bless and heal our marriage? It's like, yes, I can. Would you come under my leadership so I can do that? You know, it's, it's like going to the mechanic and saying, you need a new alternator. Great, well, could you, I don't really like that advice. Can I just get some new tires? We'll call it even. No, you need the alternator, right? Okay, number three. Number three. Number three is share your hearts. Uh, if we want to pursue friendship in a marriage, uh, one of the most important steps is to share your hearts. Um, now, in the early stage of a r- relationship, this comes naturally. This is one of the marks of rocket blast stage. You, you want to share your hearts. It's just it's become very natural. And so uh, every time I've done a, a wedding, uh, almost every time over the years I've done a wedding, uh, I'll ask a couple, what makes you want to spend the rest of your life with this person? And almost invariably, it's probably every time, there's always stories of long conversations, uh, love spending time together, uh, deep talks, sharing of hearts, sharings of dreams, sharing that this person gets me. Just always. Uh, There's stories of long phone calls in the old days. (laughs) Uh, Constant texting now chatting now, uh, right? There, there, there's always stories of, of like deep communication. 
And this is so important, and this is one of the things that fuels the rocket blast stage. Because catch this, it's, it's in the sharing of souls that soulmates are created. It's like when we share our souls, that's how soulmates are created. And so what, one of the challenges is we get married, and then we stop sharing. Uh, kind of slowly over time, usually, but we stop sharing. And you say, well, why? Well, there's some good reasons. Um, I think one reason is busyness. You know, when you're dating, you're very intentional about time together, aren't you? And so you're going to go out to dinner. You're going to go for walks on the beach. Uh, you're going to go out for coffee. Uh, you're going you're to make time together as a priority. And, um, you know, it takes quantity of time to have quality of time. You know, uh, back uh, oh, when I was raising my kids, there was, you don't hear it as much now, but they used to say, well, it's not so much the quantity of time, it's the quality of time you spend with your kids. It's like bunk. Because if you don't have quantity of time, there never will be quality time. Like, it, like you don't just sit down after not seeing each other for a month because you've been running so hard and say, so share the deepest thing in your life. Oh, yeah, here we go. Right? It's like it takes, like there has to be time, there has to be environment, Right? And so when you're dating, we make this a priority. We go out to nice dinners. We go out to coffee shop. We put other things aside. We have long chats late at night. Or whatever, we make it a priority. And in the sharing of hearts, right, the sharing of souls, the soulmates are, are formed. And then we get married, and often life gets busy. Now we've got to go back, right? Now, now we're married. We're kind of through rock blast stage, and so we can kind of get back to life. We've got jobs going on. We've got kids coming. We've got carpools. We've got soccer games. Uh, we've got ministries at church. We've got a life group. We've got all these different things. And life gets busy, and so we just don't talk. We just don't have the time to really talk. Sometimes it's more serious, though. Sometimes it's a fear of rejection, like, for example, some of you guys out here, one of the struggles in your life right now is you struggle with pornography. And if we were to sit down at Starbucks and you were to talk with me about this, I'd say, well, have you ever shared that with your wife? And chances are most of you would say, are you serious? Are you kidding? Right, because, why? Because the fear is if I share this, she's going to go ballistic. And she's going to feel so rejected and going to take it so personally, uh, she, she might just shut me out of her life. You know, talk with a wife, maybe struggling with an eating disorder. Have you shared this with your husband? Well, no, I have He's the most important person in your life. You know, I've got this a shopping addiction. You know, have you shared it? No, most important. Why? Because fear of rejection. She's got a body image issues. She's deeply concerned about her body and, well, does he still love her that now she's getting older and she doesn't look like she did before? And have you talked to your husband? No. Why? Because I'm, af- I'm afraid. There's a fear of rejection, understandably, right? Uh, uh, next one, a uh, fear of uh, conflict. Certain things that we just don't talk about because, hey, if we bring up this topic, I'm afraid it's, we're going to go thermonuclear, right? And I'm not talking rocket blast. Uh, and so uh, I, we're just not going to talk about that. Um, another one's fear of accountability. See, if we're not willing to grow and come under the authority of Jesus, I guarantee you, there's a lot of things you won't be willing to talk to your spouse about. Why? Because he or she will call you on it. And they'll say, well, is that what you think God wants you to do? You know, you're a follower of Jesus, and you know, you just, uh, you blew off your boss, and you just cussed him out. You really think that was the best way to handle that, right? But if you're not really willing to come under Jesus' authority, 
you, you already know that. You don't want to have that conversation, so you're not going to bring it up. I'm not, willing, I'm not ready to talk about that. You know? Whatever the issue is, there's an issue in your life you're not willing to deal with. You're not, you're not going to discuss it. You're going to come up with a reason why you can't discuss it. But here's what I want you to catch. Every time there's a topic in our marriage that we can't discuss, it is like putting a brick between us and our spouse. And over time, and you see this in marriages that go bad over the years, they just start putting one, we can't talk about this, and we can't talk about this, and we don't talk about this, and we don't talk about this, and we don't talk about this, and we can't talk there, and we can't talk, and pretty soon, you're like boxed in, and you can't even talk, you can't go anywhere. You cannot have, there's a wall between you. Because there are too many topics you cannot address. And so here's what I'm saying. If you want to experience God's vision for your marriage, you have got to learn to become more personal with each passing year. And, and here's what I'm, let me give you an illustration. I think I'll help. When I think of our lives, I think of us having three selves. And I want you to think like in terms of circles here. So in the outer circle, we'll call that circle the public self. That's a public. You know, how are you doing? Fine. My wife just left. My cat died. My kids hate me. I don't have a job. I'm fine. Public self. Then you have your personal self. Your personal self is you're beginning to share real stuff with closer friends, maybe your life group or whatever, things that, that really are true about you. And then you in the inner circle, you have your private self. And this is who you are when you're all alone in the dark. This is the true self. And most of us don't share that true self very much except with our closest circle of friends. And here's what I want you to say. What I want to say. As a couple, if you want to experience God's vision for your marriage, you have got to find a way to move from the public self into the personal self and into the private self every year going deeper in that circle than the year before. This is critical. There in your note sheet, there is a great quote from Neil Clark Warren. He's uh, the founder of eHarmony, but longer bef- long before he, he's a Christian psychologist, and bef- long before he did eHarmony, um, he wrote a very good book on kind of dating, romance, finding a love that lasts a lifetime, that sort of thing. Um, and, and I want you to see what he says. It's just spot on. He says, without question, the most important quality in a great marriage is intimacy. He's not talking physical now. That's next week. When, you, um, when you're intimate with the person you love, you create unlimited possibilities for the growth of your relationship. Intimacy has the potential for lifting the two of you out of the lonely world of separateness into the stratosphere of emotional oneness. Conversely, the number one enemy of any marriage is a lack of intimacy. If two people don't know each other deeply, they can never become what the Bible calls one flesh. Remember, that's Genesis 2.24. They, they will never be bonded or fused or merged or welded together. Without intimacy, they'll be isolated and alone even while living under the same roof. That's what I was talking about, the bricks. The kind of intimacy I talk about involves the sharing of that which is innermost for two people. Okay, catch that. Cir- circle it, underline it. Innermost. We're talking... Inner circles, here. And then he defines that. Their deepest thoughts, their deepest feelings, their deepest dreams, their deepest fears, their deepest joys. It is when this core information is revealed that partners become acquainted with each other's inner workings. 
And so, so the question is, you know, are we pressing in? Are we moving? That, there's a lot of things we're going to have to work through, and that's why we have to come under the vertical first. You can see right now, without the vertical in alignment, this is impossible. This is hard even when the vertical is right. When the vertical is not right, this is impossible because we just can't have these kinds of conversations. Now, number four. The fourth step is to play together. No, not that kind. Um, next week. Uh, uh, what I'm saying is you, you need to find things as a couple you enjoy doing together. You need to have fun together. You see, when, one of the things that fuels the rock up last stage is that in the early, you, you play together. You're very intentional about your time. And so you, you go out on dates. You, if you enjoy movies, you hit movies. If you like walking on the beach, you, you walk on the beach. If you like outdoor activities, hiking, you, you do that. Um, you, you're very intentional about finding things you both like to do. In fact, in the Rocket Blast, you never say like, hey, do you like uh, hiking? Uh, no, I hate it. Okay, great, let's go. Uh, you, don't, you don't do that, you know? Um, like you are very intentional. Like what are the things you enjoy doing together? But what happens is we get married and then all of a sudden, again, life gets busy um, and oftentimes we assume, well, now we don't need to do that because we're together all the time. And, and when, before you're married, that's what you look forward to, right? It's like, well, this is really great. We're having a lot of fun. But it won't be great just to wake up in the morning together and just be together and just do life together. I just can't wait for that. It'd be so fun just to be together and do life together. And it is awesome, but we need to do both. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And so we need to be intentional about finding things that we enjoy spending time together. Like, like for example, uh, I'm not saying this is the silver bullet. This is a sort here's, here's what happens in Christian circles. I, I give an illustration from my life and then someone goes, oh, that's a silver bullet. That's what makes marriage work, you know? So we'll do that. No, no, getting vertical with Jesus. That's, what, that's where we start this. But, you know, for like Lynn and I, one of the things that's been an important part of our marriage for many years is a date night. Um, and, and again, and, and during some of the busiest uh, years here at Rocky Peak, and there's some really busy years, uh, that it was just the one thing that we both look forward to that no matter how busy the rest of life is, you know, Wednesday night or Thursday night, we're going to connect. And we're going to go out and we're going to do something. It doesn't be big. You know, it just might, you know, it might be, you know, In-N-Out Burger and Starbucks. I mean, it might be, well, it's simple. It could be simple, uh, but fantastic. But, um, <laughs> we, we, uh, like, I didn't say like Del Taco and Starbucks. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I always wonder, is there anyone who owns a Del Taco? <laughs> Authenticity versus preserved relationship. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I hope not. Anyway, um, <laughs> It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, super expensive. But it's something we look forward to. And it's key. Now, I'm not saying that's a silver bullet. So therefore, okay, you do a date night. and then, Okay, that's not it. The point is, are you intentional? And this will look really different for different couples. You have to find something you enjoy doing together. Not just doing it together. Something you both enjoy. So for some couples, they'll be very active. It's like for you, it's hiking, it's biking, it's working out, it's running together. 
Um, it is doing projects. Some of you are like, hey, we garden in the yard. We just love gardening together, and we kind of body during that time. Or sharing a project, or it's doing a ministry. We love being in the same ministry. And this is not only are we serving the kingdom, but it bonds us together. Some of you, that'd be awesome. Others, you'd be much more sedentary or laid back or whatever. It's gonna be, hey, we're gonna read in books, or we're going out for coffee, or going out for dinner. We just go spend a, a casual weekend away, or whatever the thing is. But what I'm saying is find something you both enjoy and invest time and intentionality. It's important to play together. And then number five, number five is to love one another. And you say, well, isn't that kind of obvious? Not really. And let me explain what I mean. Um, The Bible talks a lot about friendship. And of course, that's the topic of the day. How do we pursue friendship? But what are the marks of friendship? And I want you to think of this in terms of a marriage, okay? There in Proverbs chapter 17, on your note, it says, a friend loves what? At all times. A friend loves at all times. So, so what does love look like? Our culture tells us that love is all about feelings. When the feelings go, then you go, right? But the, the picture of love that the Bible paints is very different. That, not that it's anti-feelings or doesn't involve feelings, but it's more than feelings. The, the picture the Bible play, uh, paints is that love is a choice. And it's a choice to treasure and serve another person. It's a choice to put their needs and interests above your own. It's a choice, catch this, to seek their best interests. And when you boil it down, that looks like service. That looks like serving one another. And here's the amazing thing. You know, sometimes you can, you can talk to someone and say, I need to get out of this marriage. Why? I don't, I don't love my wife anymore. As if love is something that just happens to you. Like love is something you do. Love is something you choose. And here's what happens. When you choose to love your partner and put their needs and interests above your own, your feelings for them will grow. That they'll grow because, our, like Jesus said, where your, where your treasure is, there where your heart is. And when you begin to treasure something, invest in something, pour into something, uh, love something, your heart is going to go towards that, whatever it is that you're, you're loving. Um, of course, the biggest challenge is like, so, okay, so why don't we just do this? Well, the challenge is, is our old nature. When we talked about this, that that when we rebelled against God as a race, something broke inside of us. This impacts our relationships. And we became, instead of being other-centered, we became self-centered. And so instead of naturally serving others, we naturally serve ourselves. And so it's a selfishness that is at the core of the problem in marriage. We were talking about this in our life group last week, and one of the guys in our group said, you know, he said he felt like the Lord just showed him. He said, I don't want to be real extreme about this, but I feel like, at a certain point in my marriage, that God just showed me that the key to our marriage, I, learned, I needed to learn to die to myself. It's like, brother, that isn't extreme. That's the truth. That's just, that's just straight on. That's just right on truth. Is that if you want your marriage to live, then you have to die. You die to that which is selfish and self-absorbed. There in your note sheet, one last uh, Keller quote. He says that the main barrier to the development of a servant heart in marriage is the radical self-centeredness of the sinful human heart. Self-centeredness is a havoc-wreaking problem in many marriages. And catch this, and it is an ever-present enemy in every marriage. 
including my marriage, your marriage. It's the cancer in the center of a marriage when it begins, and it has to be dealt with. It's, and then he says this, catch this, it's impossible for us to make major headway against self-centeredness and move into a stance of service without some kind of supernatural help. He was saying that, hey, the key to, make, the key to recapturing the vision is change. And it's changed from a self-centeredness to a servant-centeredness. But for that change to happen, that's not something we can willpower in. It's not something we just read books in. There has to be supernatural change inside of us. And that's why the vertical is so important. Because without this connection with Jesus and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, learning to listen and follow and surrender his leadership, we can't become this kind of a servant. And unless we become this kind of servant, our marriages can't thrive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come before you and we just thank you for this, um, this kind of brilliant word that you've given us about marriage. Your vision, uh, the purpose, and the means. What it takes. And so, God, we pray that today, uh, whether we're currently married or not, we pray if, we, if we're currently married, God, that we would begin to surrender our lives at a very deep level to you personally, realizing that for our marriage to be healed or grow, we have to be healed and grow. Father, if we're here, we're not yet married, but we would love to be married. God, may we not wait until we're married to figure this stuff out. May we begin to dine to ourselves now, come under your leadership, begin to learn how to serve others in our close relationships now so we prepare. And Father, whether we're ever interested in marriage, God, we're all in deep relationships, we're relational beings, and these things apply to all of us. And at the core of this message is a surrender to you and your leadership that allows us to be led and empowered to know how to do this. And so God, as we come into a time of worship, and we, we sing these words about sinking deeply into your love, surrendering our life there, we pray that you'd meet us. And then as we talk about laying it down, that that's exactly what we do. And Father, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I would just pray for my brothers and sisters, those marriages out there, they're just in such great pain and so much frustration, and they feel like there is no hope. I pray that you'd speak hope to them, that as they come under your leadership, if they're both willing to do that, that you can fix anything, because you are the creator. You're the one who can hover and call beauty out of darkness. And so, God, we, we present all of our lives, and as we bring our offering to you, as we give, we pray you'd use these gifts to expand your kingdom, and that part of that would be the healing of marriages here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Wow, that's what it all comes down to, doesn't it? If we're going to get back to the garden, back to life with a capital L, if we're going to pursue life as it's created to be lived, it all starts with getting back in vertical alignment with our creator. Like, like he's the source of all that's right and good and true. He's the source of all life. If we're disconnected from him, life just doesn't work. And to try to fix the horizontal without fixing the, the vertical first, it's a fool's errand. And so we need to come under, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then second, love your neighbors yourself, right? Vertical comes before the horizontal. It's funny, last night I was thinking about that song, Lay It Down, and uh, one of the funniest moments in my ministry life was uh, I was teaching on marriage at my previous church one day. And you know how I get, I was passionate. And I was up there, and I was challenging the men. I was challenging the men that there's times in your life, guys, you've got to lay down your life for your wife, right? Like, Jesus, you've got to lay it down. And I said, highly drama, you know, 
there are times in your life you just need to lay down your wife. <laughs> well, that's next week. So I hope you can be here as we come together to continue this journey for this vision God has to restore our lives that he's revealing in the Genesis Chronicles. Amen? Amen? Don't forget, you need prayer down in front to the right. We'll see you next week. God bless.